some things that you appreciate about Andy, some things maybe you don't know about Andy. Let me tell you one. You know, Andy was in the Army and uh, not knowing for sure what to do when he got out. He was trying to decide to go back to school, get a job, and so he happened to uh, have a tough time trying to find a job and he went by the zoo in Lincoln. The zoo in Lincoln's not very big, but they had a help wanted sign and he thought, I'll just stop in and see what they need. So he stopped in and they looked at him and they said, you know, you'd be perfect for the position. And Andy said, well, tell me what it is. And he said, well, <clears throat> our best gorilla died. And we need somebody to dress up like a gorilla because he was our main attraction. We just need somebody to dress up as a gorilla. And it's really an easy job. All you have to do is just kind of sit there, pick your nose maybe, and, and just stare straight ahead. So Andy thought, okay, well, I'll do that. That's simple enough. So anyway, as he was... Uh, in his cage, there was a rope there, and, and uh, he decided one day to just kind of swing on that a little bit. And the people thought that was pretty cool, watching this gorilla swing on this rope. Well, right next to him was a lion's cage, and so he, he convinced the staff to make an opening between his cage and the lion's cage, and he would swing out over the lion's cage and then swing back. And so that's what he would do. He would he'd begin to swing out over the lion's cage, and the people would just come and watch us, and they'd go, oh. And, and, oh, you know, as he gets back, and the lion would kind of make noises and, and uh, paw at the air. One day, the rope broke, and Andy was in the lion's cage, flat on his back. Well, the lion is on top of him, roaring and, and all that, and all of a sudden, to everybody's surprise, they hear this gorilla begin to speak. Help, was what they heard. Won't somebody please help me? And the lion got louder, just trying to be as loud as he could. And finally Andy just said, Lord, please help me. And the lion stopped. And all of a sudden the lion spoke. And the lion said, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. We have different things that, that attract us to whatever it may be. Commercials uh, attract us to products. We have all types of, of gadgets nowadays, different ways to gain our attention. We've been in a series at the church that I, was, I serve in Aurora on the Reformation. I don't know how many of you have heard of the Reformation, the 1517 Reformation. 500 years anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg doors coming up October 31st. 500 years. Sometimes when you think of some of the old theologians, you think that uh, there wasn't too much excitement there. There wasn't too much laughter, too much joy, you know, what, they're all just specifically about theology or, or whatever it may be, but, but the reformers uh, faced a very difficult mountain to climb as they were reforming the church. 
For they not only needed to correct the theological errors of Rome, but they also needed to convince the people who were used to being kept in the dark, who did not have the scriptures in their hands. They had to inform them about theological issues as well as the scriptures. Therefore, to convince them that Rome was guilty of abandoning the true faith and was no longer a true church, they had a very difficult challenge ahead of them. They needed to grab their attention. They needed some type of, of slogan that would begin to entice the people to look at or to listen to what they had to say. And they came up with five solas. This is in the Latin language. Five solas, which today still resound within the evangelical church or should the five solas were sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria. Now that's all Latin. Some of it you can maybe figure out. Sola scriptura. Sola means alone. And so sola scriptura is scripture alone. They're holding to that we have to hold to our own authority was the scriptures. It's not the church. It's not the magistrate. It's not the king, it's, it's the word of God is our sole authority. Sola fide, fide means faith, and that it was faith alone, that we are saved by faith alone. That it's not a result of works that anyone does, and, and, and we're accepted by God because of the good things that we do. Sola gratia was grace alone, grace alone. That not only are we saved by faith alone, but it is a gift of God. It's by grace alone that we have this gift of salvation. Then you have solus Christus, Christ alone. That it's faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone is salvation. And then the last one is soli deo gloria. To God be the glory alone. And so when you look at those five, faith alone was, was a huge one that the reformers had. But, but if you were to look at all five, which I've had the opportunity this summer and just really studying those five solas, there's one that really stands out that, that all the others really fall under. And that would be soli deo gloria, to God be the glory alone. The reason being is, is you know, in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, you have that, that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And, and all of creation is, is speaking to the glory of God. But also is this aspect of salvation. In Titus chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and, the, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness and the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. So here's the promise of eternal life, this promise of, of salvation 
But it was made long ages ago, meaning before eternity, before time began. Now, were any of you around before time began? I know I'm old, but I wasn't, I wasn't here before time began. Right? None of us were around before time began. In fact, creation hadn't happened yet. And yet God's making this promise of salvation before creation. Before time began, before creation, God makes this promise of salvation. But there's not even anybody around to, to receive it. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Paul writes, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So now he's talking about the gospel, which is, is the five solas, the Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. And, and he's talking about the gospel. So the gospel according to the power of God. Then verse 9 says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There it is again, before time began. It was granted in Christ before time began. Not a, not a single one of us is around. So who is God making this promise to? Who is this promise being made to? It's not us. We're not there. It's not the angels. They haven't been created yet. Or if they had, they're just listening to this conversation that the Trinity is having. I believe that God has made a promise to Jesus Christ that he's going to give them a redeemed people that are going to worship him and give him glory all the days of his life, all the days of our lives. And, and it's really a picture of God granting salvation as a promise that he's giving to his son. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 6. It'll make more sense as we look at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse, beginning in verse 37, notice what Jesus says. These are the words of Jesus. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Did you see that? All that the Father gives me will come to me. You see, God... God's fulfilling his promise. He promised in eternity past, according to Timothy and Titus, that he's going to give a redeemed people to his son. And so now Jesus is saying, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. I'm not going to go against what the Father desires to do. That's what he's saying. Then verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, who is God, who's the second person of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus, who is God, says, I'm going to do the will of my Father. And what is the will of my Father? Well, he answers that. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has, there it is again, has given me, all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. So he says, all that the Father gives me as this gift, I will not lose. And I will raise it up on the last day. People, there is security of salvation right there in that message. In fact, verse 40 goes on to say, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, Jesus says. Now, 
If anybody tries to tell you that you can lose your salvation, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and anyone tries to tell you that you can lose it, you take them to this verse and you ask them, whose fault is it if I'm lost? I've had some people tell me, well, I can squeeze myself out of his hands. Whose fault is it if I'm lost? Jesus says, the will of my Father is, is all that he's given me, I lose none of them. And I raise them up on the last day. If he loses any of them, it's Jesus' fault. It's Jesus' fault. And if Jesus loses any of us, then none of us are saved because he was unable to fulfill the will of his Father. Therefore, he would have had to die on the cross for his own sin, but Jesus was sinless. Jesus' promise is that he will raise us up on the last day, those who have put their faith and their trust in him. That is a promise to hold on to, that when you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it is for eternity. Jesus promises he will never lose you. And he will raise you up on the last day. Why? Turn to John chapter 17. John 17 is is really the Lord's prayer. You have the disciples' prayer of Matthew 6, but John 17, this is a prayer that Jesus is praying in front of the 11, right? Judas has already left, and now there's 11 men left who are his apostles. And he's praying this out loud for them to hear. And if you look at verse 24, okay, so Jesus is praying for the 11. Then in verse 20, sorry about this, but verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those who will believe through their word. He's talking about you and I, okay? He's talking about you and I. We are believers because of the word that came forth from the apostles that has been passed down generation after generation, year after year after year to 2017, okay? So, verse 24, Jesus says this, Father, I desire that they also, you and I, including the 11, all the believers... Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Why does he want us to be with him where he is? Why is his promise to fulfill bringing us to to glory with him? Why? Why is it? He answers it. So that they may see my glory. Jesus wants us to see the full glory of who he is. Now, how many of you saw the solar eclipse, right? That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Right? And, and, and they had these glasses that you had to use because of just looking at the sun, because of the brightness of the sun and what it would do to your eyes. Let me just tell you. Our eyes, with no matter what type of glasses you would have, could not behold the glory of Christ. That's why we get new bodies before he comes back. So that we can have eyes for the first time to be able to behold the glory of Christ because it's going to be brighter than anything ever created. The majesty and the beauty of Christ. And Jesus wants us to see his glory, which, Father, you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you see that? 
before time began, you promised you're going to give me a redeemed people. And Father, I want them to see the glory that you've given me. Okay? Now remember that. We're going to come back to that later. Soli Deo Gloria. The Westminster Shorter Catechism said, first question, what is the purpose of man? And the purpose of man, or the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to, to enjoy all of His attributes, to, to enjoy the whole character of God, which is all a part of His glory. That we would enjoy that, that we would love being a part of that. Just even this creation and seeing the glory of God, seeing the glory of God even in the solar eclipse, all of those things, God wants us to enjoy those things that He has created. But even far more, to enjoy Him. To enjoy Him and His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether then you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That the whole purpose of our lives is to give Him glory. Now, when I, was growing, when, when I was younger, there was a bunch of bumper stickers out, especially in the 70s. There was a bumper sticker called, I Found It. And it was really supposed to be, I, I, I Found Christ. There was this whole thing, but they, they dropped it to, I Found It, hoping that people would ask them, what did you find? Then a bumper sticker came out and said, I never knew I lost it. And, and so somebody, people started putting those, kind of like the fish and then the Darwin fish, you know, swallowing the fish and or, or all those types of things, you know, or the fish having legs and then the truth now coming and eating the, the Darwin fish or whatever. There was another bumper sticker that I liked too. It says, don't follow me, I'm lost. Don't follow me, I'm lost. I, I know who did that. I know it was some wife put it on the bumper of her husband's car. Don't follow me, I'm lost. I'm not going to ask directions. Well, I'm afraid that that's true of, of, the, of many Christians. Because many Christians have no clear vision, no clear goal. They tend to walk aimlessly around, tossed here and there by every fad, by every doctrine, by every new book that may come out, or new methodology that comes out. And so, really, the confession of, of the church oftentimes is the church is lost, doesn't know which direction to head because it's trying to, to keep up with the culture. It's trying to keep up with the philosophies of the, of the people. It's because they're fighting the wrong battle. And they must confess that, that they are lost, that they have no clear direction of where they're going. But if the heavens are declaring the glory of God, if... 1 Corinthians is telling me that whatever I do, do all for the glory of God. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to say what we're here for. We're here to glorify Him. We're here to glorify God. How do we do that? Well, in verse 1 of John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these things as He began to pray to His Father in heaven. Lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. And so Jesus is praying, Father, glorify your son. But it wasn't about Jesus. Notice that. Jesus says, Father, glorify me so that ultimately I may bring glory back to you. 
It's, it's glory back to the Father in Jesus' heart. It's glory back to the Father. That, that's what he desires to do. God's given him this gift. Jesus desires to redeem the gift. And he says, glorify me that I may glorify you. And then verse 4, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So Jesus says, I've glorified you, accomplishing the work that you've given me to do. Now what is this work that the Father gave him to do? Well, he answers it, beginning verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world, that they are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus reveals the Father to mankind. That was his whole purpose in coming, was to reveal the Father, right? In John chapter 14, verse 6, you know, at verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But then he goes on and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And verse 7, he says, If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him because you've seen him. But then Philip asked the question, Lord, just show us the Father and it's enough. And, and Jesus asked Philip, Philip, how long have you been with me that you don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? That's, that's the whole purpose in Jesus' coming was to reveal the Father and to reveal the Father's love, to reveal the glory of the Father. Verse, in fact, John understood it when he wrote the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle John says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has manifested him. He has revealed him so that they could see the Father. And so what we see in this passage is that the glory of, of the Father is revealed by the disciples understanding it, by seeing Jesus. Just by seeing Jesus, they see the glory of the Father. By believing the truth that Jesus gave them, they bring glory to the Father. It's all about glory to the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. There it is again. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For what purpose? To glorify God. To glorify God. So how does God, working in the life of a believer, glorify himself? Turn over to the book of Ephesians. This morning we, we are looking at a lot of passages of Scripture, but... But that's what Scripture does. Scripture interprets Scripture. We look at Scripture to, to help us understand Scripture, to help us understand the things of God. So in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, he says, Paul says, He predestined us 
to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He's talking about the Father here. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Okay? Do you catch that? So he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, that we would come to faith in Jesus Christ, be adopted as his sons to the praise of the glory of the Father's grace. Right? To the praise of the glory of the Father's grace. Now, drop down to verse 12. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So now, it's Christ to the praise of his glory. So in the first part, it's the Father adopting us as his children to the praise of his glorious grace. Now it's because of our hope in Christ that would be to the praise of his glory. Then when you drop down to verse 14, it says, Who is given as a pledge, speaking of the Holy Spirit from verse 13, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to what? To the praise of his glory. You see, everything that the Father does, everything that the Son does, everything that the Spirit does is all to what? To the praise of what? His glory. It's all to the praise of His glory. Everything that the Father, the Son, and the, and the, and the Holy Spirit does is to the praise of the glory of God. So what are we to do? Right? How are we to live? He's redeemed us for that very purpose. And it's understanding that. God is glorified because he saves sinners. He didn't choose the good or the righteous ones. He chose the sinners because that's all there was. Romans chapter 3 says there's none righteous. Romans chapter 3 verse 12 says there's none who does good. There is no righteous ones. There are no good ones. God had to save sinners like me. Sinners like you. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, great saint, right? Author of most of the New Testament. Verse 15 says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then notice what Paul says, Among whom I am the foremost of all. Among whom I am the worst. That's what Paul said. He sent Jesus to save sinners among whom I'm the worst. And then verse 16, yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the worst sinner of all, Paul says, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul knew his sin. Paul didn't know your sin. Paul didn't know my sin. Paul knew his sin. And in knowing his own sin, Paul said, I'm the worst of all sinners. But guess what? I know my sin. I don't know your sin, but I know my sin. And I would tell you this morning, I'm the worst of all sinners. Because I know my sin. And yet, the kindness of Christ redeems me. The kindness of Jesus Christ, by his patience, he redeems us. He reconciles us. Why? Notice what Paul moves into, verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why? Why does he save us? 
Why does he save the worst sinner like me? For his glory. For the praise of his glory. God receives glory through sinners coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God receives glory in how we live our lives. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, but 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2, verse 12. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of, of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That we would walk in a manner worthy, that we would begin to walk as as children of God, all for His glory, that all that we would do would be to His glory, to his glory and His glory alone. At 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 2 Corinthians 10, 31. God receives glory by redeeming sinners. God receives glory through our daily lives and how we walk with Christ. And then God also receives glory at the return of Christ. You have Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. You see, He's going to glorify our bodies to become like the bodies of Christ. And we will be able to behold the glory of God, but it's all for his glory. We bring glory to God through salvation that we have received by grace through faith in Christ. We bring glory to God through living our lives new in Christ. And we bring glory to God when we are glorified at his second coming. So how does the redeemed person bring glory to God? How is it then that we live? Colossians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's because Christ lives in me. Jesus takes up residence in my life. He lives in me in order that I may bring him glory in all that I do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of God in all of his glory. Live your life as looking on the things above, not on the things here on earth. Well, there's so many distractions here on earth. There's so many things that get us off of, of our focus on God. I mean, we all now, we can have smartphones and all those things, and, and it just, we don't have to read, we don't have to really study hardly anymore, except for the pass your tests, right? But... But anymore now, we just have smartphone or we have Alexa and we can just ask Alexa any question we want to ask and, and she'll answer it, right? So we don't have to think for ourselves anymore. We don't have to study anymore. We, it's just this dumbing down. And I'm telling you, we need to. We need to be students of the Word. We need to be students of, of God. We need to be intelligent and not allow the things of this world to distract us from our focus on Jesus Christ. To be thinking on the things above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 2, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is Jesus Christ, your life. Is Jesus Christ, your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be what? Manifested in our lives. That Jesus would be manifested, would be revealed. And however we respond to whatever situation we find ourselves in, is Jesus manifested? Is he your focus? Romans chapter 8. Great verse that, that, that we use a lot of times, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. But oftentimes we leave right there. What is his purpose? Well, here's his purpose, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean? That he would be the firstborn, that he would be the first one with the glorified body and, and we're all going to have glorified bodies like him to his glory because he's the first one to receive it. So all of it, God has said, is, is for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all for his glory, all for his glory. God's purpose in conforming us into the likeness of Jesus is that ultimately that we would bring glory to Jesus Christ in all that we do. But we also need the work of the Holy Spirit. Work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That, that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of God. Is that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. It is the Lord, the Spirit, who is working in us to reveal the glory of Jesus in our lives that the image of Christ would be seen in us. See, our nature manifests that which is dead. We manifest the flesh, and our flesh can bring no glory to God. But it's when the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in our lives, that He will begin to reproduce the life of Christ. He will begin to produce this glorious image of Jesus Christ in us. Romans chapter 8 Verse 11, but the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's going to give life to our mortal bodies. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things. A parallel passage to that that speaks of the same thing, only this time it says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with melody in your hearts of thanksgiving. All right? What that means is the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and it says let the word of Christ dwell in you. That means that, that we need to Spend time in the Word of God, that it takes up residence in my life. Am I spending time in this Word that the Holy Spirit then will take this Word and produce what this Word is doing, this living and active Word, which proclaims the glory of Christ? Am I allowing the Spirit to move in my life to display the glory of Jesus Christ? In Galatians 5.16 says, If we walk by the Spirit, then we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We live under Christ. And when we live under Christ, we do it so that it brings glory to Christ. 
Now in closing, John chapter 17, verse 24. I said we'd come back to that. In John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus says, prays that the Father would bring us to where He is so that they may see my glory which you have given me. That we would see the glory. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 speaks of Jesus going to the cross, humbling himself, that he would be exalted above every, every name, that he, every, at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord, all to the glory of the Father. So that when the glory is given to the Son, it's also given to the Father. So Jesus says, I want to show them the glory that you have given me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. So all things are subjected to Jesus Christ. That's what the Father desires to do. That's that Philippians passage, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. All things are subjected to Jesus Christ, that he would receive the glory. But notice, after all things have been subjected to Jesus Christ, verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him so that God may be all in all. What does that mean? Jesus desires that all the glory that is bestowed upon Him, that everything being subjected to Him and put under His feet, all for His glory. What Jesus says here is that He's going to take all that has been subjected to him and then including himself he's going to take all of it including himself and subject it to the father as a gift back to the father for the father's glory you see Jesus mission was not just to redeem us Jesus mission was to bring glory to his father the reason why we're redeemed, the reason why He has saved us, is not just that we would have eternal life. The reason why He saved us was that all glory would go to the Father. How do we live our lives? How do you live your life? There's one purpose that He's given us. To do it all for the glory of God. Father, Lord, I, I fail miserably at this. Lord, Lord, it's so easy to fall back into selfishness. It's so easy to fall back into my wants, my desires, my needs. Lord, I, I have to admit there's times I don't even think about You. But God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you cause us to, to see you in a greater way? Would you cause us to have an awareness of Christ in our lives? Would you cause us to have awareness of you at all times? For God, you are everywhere. You are omnipresent. You, there's not a place we can go that you are not. Lord, would you help us to be aware of your presence? And that in everything that we do, whether whatever we say, whatever we talk, whatever we think, whatever we do, Lord, would be all for the glory of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all for the glory of you.
our Father. To you be the glory in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.